Uh, good morning, everyone. So if you're visiting this morning, or if you're listening to a recording, yep, my name is Mark. I'm currently serving alongside the team that leads New Life Community Church across its various sites. I'm married to Debbie. We have four children and a couple of grandchildren, another one on the way. And I've had several careers over my life. I've been an electronic engineer. I've worked in music technology. I've worked in the music industry. But for the last 20 years, I've been a dispensing optician. Now, I don't know if this has happened to you, but several times I've bumped into my patients outside of, of work, and it, when I bump into them outside of my workplace, it, it kind of really throws them. They look at me, maybe I'm not dressed in, in, in my work clothes, maybe I haven't got my suit and tie, maybe I've got civvies on. But outside of the context that they expect to see me in, they can't quite place me or where they know me from. It's like they recognize me, but they're not sure why. Have you had that happen to you? I know I've done it too. I bumped into someone and I kind of recognized them, but I couldn't quite place them. So then you have to have that awkward question, that awkward conversation, don't you? Which, in my case, goes something a little bit like, did I sell you those glasses? <laughs> uh, which only works, of course, if they're wearing glasses. Or, are you a musician? Uh, maybe it's just me, but, but it kind of gets a bit awkward, doesn't it? And the other thing that I do, apparently, which is kind of related, and, and Deb teases me mercilessly about, is that I'll say, my friend such and such. And Deb is not convinced that I know them quite well enough to call them a friend. She thinks I maybe met them once upon a time. It's like those people who've got over a 1,000 friends on Facebook. I've only got just about 500, and I would say that on the whole... They are more than simply acquaintances, but Deb's going to carry on teasing me for that, I'm sure. I am, after all, quite an easy target. <laughs> I, I mention these things because it's a little bit like the passage that we're looking at today. We're in the Gospel of Mark. So if you see Mark up there, that's not me. That's a guy that lived about 2,000 years ago. Um, but this, yeah, this is a bit like the passage we're looking at. There are perhaps layers... Of, or levels of, of knowledge, of, of recognition. And when it comes to recognizing Jesus, and when it comes to knowing Jesus, well, that has eternal implications. So let's get into God's word. Today's passage is only four verses long. It's what the preaching team call a bite-sized preach, but I'm only a pint-sized preacher, so that's, that's quite appropriate, isn't it? Yeah, so if you've got a Bible with you, why don't you turn with me to Mark's Gospel. We're in chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 53. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version. When they crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever he, they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him were made well. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's life and food to us. 
Lord, we pray now that you'd help me so speak and each of us to so hear and listen and obey your word, that it might change us, that it might transform us and make us look a little bit more like Jesus. And we ask it in his precious name. Amen. So there are, are a few principles that I want to draw out of this passage. And with each principle, I've also found myself challenged. I want to set those challenges before you to prayerfully consider. But first, let's, let's set a little bit of context. We're approaching a bit of a turning point in Mark's gospel. We're maybe almost two years into the ministry of Jesus. And that so far, this ministry has been, been largely based in a region of Galilee. The passage comes straight off of the back of the feeding of the 5,000, which, as we looked at last week, numbers only just the men. And off of the back of the account of Jesus walking on the water. So having fed the multitudes, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat, and he sent them off ahead of him in the direction of Bethsaida, which lay at the northern tip of the lake or sea of Galilee. However, the wind was against them. The ESV I'm reading from says earlier in verse 48 that they were making headway painfully. But perhaps your translation reads, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves, or straining at the oars, something like that. It's one of those little eyewitness details we get from Mark, which is kind of evidence that the story was told to Mark by someone who was actually there, and in all likelihood, that was, a, that was the Apostle Peter. So it looks like they were rowing against the wind, and the wind won, because they end up in Gennesaret. That's a region on the western shore, southwest of Capernaum, and several miles, maybe nine or ten miles, away from where they'd been originally headed. So this is where I see the first principle that we can learn from this passage. We might not always end up where we thought or, it, or intended, but God is still sovereign, he's still in control, and he's still working. I'm reminded of what's written in Proverbs 16 and verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So we can make our plans. But ultimately, it's God who works everything out for his good plan and for his purposes, there may be things that we hold in our hearts. And from those things that are in our hearts, we might make plans, and God might bless those plans. But if those desires are not in alignment with his will and purposes, then we dare not assume that we have his blessing. In Psalm 37 and verse 23, King David teaches us that the way to ensure that our footsteps are established by Almighty God is to delight in him and in his ways. So you might not end up, always end up where you thought or even where you'd intended. But if you make God your delight, if you make Christ your treasure, then he'll lead you by his spirit and bless you so that you can in turn be a blessing. Brothers and sisters, do you believe that? Do you believe that God wants to use you to be a blessing to your communities? I hope that you do. So let's move on. So they land at Gennesaret and they lay anchor there. And no sooner are they out of the boat that the people recognize Jesus. They run. I'm not going to run. 
Uh, they run throughout the region and they bring him the sick to heal. Now, I'll hurt my back if I do. <laughs> then I'll need healing. So in the original Greek, the word translated here as recognize is the same word used to describe how you might recognize a false prophet and how you can distinguish between true and false disciples in Matthew chapter 7, where it says, by their fruit, you will know them or recognize them. Mark is using the same word here to describe how the people recognize Jesus. So this is a little bit more than my patients bumping into me in the street and vaguely knowing that they've met me before but can't quite place me. The way that the people recognized Jesus was a little bit more like the way that we recognize celebrities. Jesus has become famous by now, if you like. His fame and his reputation as a healer and a worker of miracles has gone ahead of him. It's a bit like when you're awarded a prize or a reward in recognition of long service or some achievement. It's a way of showing, for want of better words, some official appreciation. These people, they appreciated, they knew, they understood that if they brought their sick to Jesus, they had the power to heal them. And Mark records that his fame follows Jesus wherever he went in the region, whether it be villages or cities or the countryside. So as Christians living in rural communities, perhaps that resonates with us. Perhaps not many of us serve or live in the cities, but many of us are living in the villages or in or around the countryside. And wherever Jesus goes in that region, whether it be the cities or the villages or just out and about in the countryside, wherever he goes, the people bring him their sick to heal. It speaks to us of the scope, the vast scope of the mission of Jesus. And it speaks of the second principle that I want to pull out of the passage. Wherever he went, he was at work. So let me ask you, do you know that if, you, if you're a Christian here this morning or if you're listening to a recording, do you know that wherever you go, you take Jesus with you? If Jesus has come to live in, in you by his spirit, everywhere you go, he goes too. In fact, I would go so far to suggest that you even live where you live and have the neighbors that you have by God's design. Because this is what it says in Acts chapter 17 and verse 26. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. So in other words, God decided when and where people should live. That's, that's what it means by appointed times and the boundaries of, of their lands. God decided when and where we should live. And wherever we live and wherever we go, if Jesus has come to live within us by his spirit, wherever we go, we take him with us. And it seems that wherever he goes, he's at work. 
Now, there was an expectation amongst these people that Jesus would heal their sick. And as I'm reading through this passage, I, I feel my own expectations of Jesus being challenged here. Now, what are we believing Jesus for? Are we believing that God might want to demonstrate his power and his love wherever we go? Are we expecting to see God moving in power in our Sunday mornings? What about our small group meetings? What about the streets or the flats or wherever it is that we live? Amongst our neighbours maybe. Because perhaps for some of us, the Spirit just wants to awaken or, or even reawaken faith this morning. Maybe the Spirit wants to challenge our levels of expectation. You see, these people recognize Jesus in as much as they appear to believe in his ability to heal their sick. Whether or not they knew him in the way that he wants all to know him as Lord and Savior and therefore not perish but have everlasting life. That's another story. Because we know that not everyone who was healed by Jesus became a follower of Jesus. But evidently, there was this expectation that Jesus would heal. In fact, the language that Mark uses is strong language. It says they implored him or begged him. There's a sense here almost of desperation. Again, I don't know about you, but I, f I find that really challenging. How desperate, how desperate are we to see Jesus moving? Again, we, we cannot know how many of these people went on to become followers of Jesus. We don't know how many of them received the gift of healing without receiving the giver and the new and eternal life that only he can give. And even in that, I hear the Spirit gently reminding me to seek the giver rather than the gifts. But how desperate are we to see Jesus? These guys were so desperate, they begged him to let, even, let him touch even the tassels of his prayer shawl. And this isn't an isolated incident either. Similar things are recorded of the apostles too. So in Acts chapter 5, it records that people laid their sick on beds and on mats and in the streets of Jerusalem because they believed that they could be healed simply by Peter's shadow falling upon them. And later in Acts, in chapter 19, Luke records that the sick were healed and cleansed of evil spirits simply by being touched by Paul's hankies. Not sure I like the idea of that one. Hankies and aprons. So what does this tell us? Well, there, there are several things I think it can teach us. Firstly, that the power of Jesus to heal isn't limited by physical boundaries. He doesn't have to be physically present even in order to heal. Now, now in a sense, because he is the omnipresent God, Jesus is everywhere all at the same time, but, but I trust you get my meaning. So what does that mean for us? Well, well I guess what it means is for example, that you don't have to be with someone to pray for them and to expect God to move powerfully in their lives, whether it be for healing or whatever. So it's okay to pray for people over the phone or FaceTime or Zoom or whatever and, and expect Jesus to hear that prayer and answer it. And Jesus can work in all things. 
Also, there doesn't appear to be any kind of magic formula to healing. If you read through the Gospels, Jesus appears to heal and to work miracles in a variety of different ways. So, for example, a little later in Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, we can read of how Jesus brought healing to a blind man by spitting on his eyes. Another one I don't fancy much. Also in chapter 7 of Mark's Gospel, and also in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 15, there are accounts of this Syrophoenician woman who begged Jesus to cast out a demon out of her daughter. Now, this exchange is really interesting, but for now, I just want us to note that Jesus apparently performed this miracle from a distance because he sends the woman home to find that her daughter's been healed. So sometimes Jesus spits on people's eyes. Sometimes he lays his hands on the sick. Sometimes he doesn't even touch them at all, and they touch his garments. And sometimes he isn't even there at all. And he appears to heal remotely, for for want of a better word. And while there are some similarities in a lot of the accounts, nevertheless, I don't think we can reduce it down to a simple formula, that if we do this, Jesus is going to heal. Now, while we're on the subject of healing, consider again the woman that was healed from years of bleeding just by touching his garment, which was just a chapter earlier in Mark's Gospel in chapter 5. And there's an interesting point I want to pull out of that. Because we're told in verse 30 of chapter 5 that Jesus perceived that power had gone out from him. So I just want to pick up on, on that for a moment or two before I draw things to a conclusion. So consider this for a minute. How is it that Mark is able to write that all who touched Jesus' garments were healed? Where did this power come from? Referring to the woman that was healed from bleeding in chapter 5, Mark writes that power went out. But to go out, logically, it must have come in. Do you see my reasoning? Where did that come from? Well, firstly, I think it's important to note that the Gospels record Jesus as being filled with the Spirit, as being led by the Spirit, and moving in the power of the Spirit. So see, for example, Matthew 4, verse 1, Luke 4, verse 1, and verse 14, and Luke, 10, chapter 20, Luke chapter 10, verse 21. So Jesus is empowered for his ministry by the Holy Spirit. The same is true for his disciples. This is what he promised in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. There is no element of the Christian life that is possible without his help. Brothers and sisters, we are utterly dependent upon the Holy Spirit. Even the faith to believe is a gift from him. Apart from him, we can do nothing of eternal consequence. We were dead in our sins. We weren't drowning as if there was still a a hope of catching hold of a life boy and being saved. Someone who's dead cannot catch hold of a life boy. We were not drowning in our sins. Brothers and sisters, we were dead in our sins. Now, I I do believe that there is an element of Jesus responding to faith. 
And we are told that in some places Jesus could do no miracles there because of a lack of faith. However, if faith is a gift of God, a free gift that we cannot earn, a gift of grace, something freely given that we do not deserve, then I don't think that we would necessarily see Jesus working more if we simply had more faith, as if it was something that we could muster as opposed to being a free gift to us. I don't think it's as simple as that. I think there's a bit more to it. Because the danger of believing that we would see more miracles if we simply had more faith is that we might ask Jesus, for example, to heal us. And then if he doesn't heal us immediately, we might beat ourselves up and think, well, I didn't get healed because I didn't have enough faith. And that cannot be right if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I know that there are various thoughts on this, but but this is my conviction. I don't think it's as simple as mustering up more faith, but I do believe we can ask our Father for more. I'm reminded of the account in chapter 9, and there appears to be an argument breaking out because the disciples have been unable to drive out an impure spirit out of this young lad. And it's the boy's father that I have been so encouraged by over the years because he says something to Jesus that I find myself praying lots and lots. I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. If we need more faith, I think it's okay to pray for more. I think the Bible teaches us that. And there's another interesting point in this account. When the disciples asked Jesus why they couldn't drive out the demon, Jesus told them, this kind can only come out by prayer. And some manuscripts add prayer and fasting. Which really leads me to why I believe that. Whilst Jesus does appear to respond to faith, I think there's a little bit more to it. And I think we get a clue from, the, from earlier in the chapter we're in. Let me show you what, what I mean. So, so we need to rewind a little bit. Jesus and his disciples had jumped into the boat with the intention of coming away and resting for a while. And when they got to the shore, they found that the crowds had got there ahead of them. So Jesus took compassion on the crowds, and he taught them until it grew late. And then he feeds them, maybe as many as 20,000 of them. It's been a long day. Jesus is fully God, yes, but he's also fully man. He must have been shattered. What would you have done? Perhaps the boat has a comfy cushion in the rear of it, in the stern, that he could have laid his weary head upon. But what does Jesus do? He sends the disciples off, and he dismisses the crowd. And then we read this in verse 46. And after he'd taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. If you keep reading... It looks like Jesus prayed from when evening came until the fourth watch of the night. And that would be somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. Now just do the maths with me for a minute. In other words, despite having had a super long day, Jesus prays through the night for maybe nine or ten hours. Just let that settle for a minute. As we kind of 
recap what we've learned from today's passage and the challenges that it throws out to us. God is so gracious to us that he can continue to exercise his power and authority even when things don't go the way we wanted or intended. But if we delight ourselves in him and in his way, then he will establish our footsteps. And are we expecting God to move powerfully in and through his church in our day? Or do we place limits on what we think he can and wants to do? In chapter 5 of his gospel, the apostle John records Jesus saying that he only does what he sees the Father doing. In other words, his ministry flows out of his relationship with the Father and as we've already seen in the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, it's about relationship. Please hear me clearly. I'm not suggesting that each of us has to find nine or ten hours of the day to lay aside to prayer. But prayer is really important. Because if we want to see the kingdom of God taking more and more effect in our communities, and I believe that we do, but I'm also convinced that prayer is absolutely key And I do sincerely believe that the witness of the church and the links between prayer and various revivals over the years would testify to that. So I feel led to highlight again the importance of prayer, not just when we come together, although that is really, really important, but in the normal Christian life, just getting through life. And when I'm talking about the importance of prayer, I do include that. In that, the gift of the risen and ascended Jesus, which is the ability to pray in tongues. I want to commend that to you. I want to encourage you to exercise. Exercise that gift. Here's what Paul writes in Ephesians 6 and verse 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And I just want to quickly remind you of what Luke writes concerning the new believers that accepted the gospel message when Peter preached at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to, finish it for me, and to prayer. See, I, I find myself really challenged by the strong language that Mark uses about how the people implored or begged Jesus to even let them touch his tassels on his prayer garment. So how do I respond? How do we respond? Let me suggest one way. To ask God to work in our hearts so that we're devoted to the things that Luke describes in Acts to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles, which is God's word to us. To be devoted to fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ and with God in three persons. To be devoted to remembering the death and the resurrection of Jesus in the breaking of bread. And to be devoted to prayer. So if you felt challenged like I have, I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray together. If I can ask the band to to come, come back as well.
And if anything I've said has resonated with you, and you'd like prayer as we enter into a time of worship in a minute, and I'd love, love to pray with you. There'll be others here who'd love to pray with you. And perhaps you're here, or you're listening to a recording, and, and you know or recognize Jesus, perhaps as a historical figure, but you don't know him personally as your Lord and Savior. But you want to know more about him. If you're here, I'd love to talk to you about that afterwards. But if you're listening to a recording, can I encourage you to get in touch with us through the website or whatever medium you're listening on. Otherwise, we're going to worship God together in a minute. We're going to just open it up to the Holy Spirit to see what he wants to do amongst us this morning. But we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's our healer. He's our redeemer. He's our Lord and our saviour. And he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. So why don't we stand together? Now, it would be crazy of me to to preach a word on healing and and not have an opportunity to see God move in that way. So if you're here, let's just close our eyes for a minute to preserve modesty if we need to. But if if you're ill or sick in any way uh, or any part of your body is hurting and it's appropriate to do so, why don't you place your hand on the part of your body if you're able to that's in pain or or you're struggling with and I'm going to pray I can't do anything but he can he's great Father I thank you that you gave all authority in heaven and on earth to Jesus so we come in his authority his delegated authority and we say to sickness and disease in this place Go in Jesus' name. Bodies be healed in the name of Jesus. And Father, we thank you for our risen Lord. And we thank you for the promised Holy Spirit has been poured out on us. Spirit, we say, have your way amongst us. We want to go out of this place looking more like Jesus. So have your way amongst us. Speak to us now. If you want to speak to us through prophecy, uh, through words of knowledge, that's absolutely fine. We open to that, Lord. We want to hear from you. And Father, if anything I've said has not been of you this morning, I'd say ask you to erase it from our memories. Keep only that which is of you, we ask in Jesus' name. We want to see you lifted high. We want to see you glorified, not just in us, but in our communities. We want to see people coming to to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and have this relationship that you've brought us into. What a gracious Father that you are. And thank you, thank you, Father, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Christ Jesus. None. What a wonderful, gracious God you are. Pour out your grace now, I pray. Come, Holy Spirit, even as we worship King Jesus, in whose precious name we pray. Amen.